Well, good morning, Fellowship family. How y'all doing this morning? It's good to see you. Hey, my name is Michael. Hey, what, what Heath does here on Sunday mornings leading worship, I do that here on this campus for Friday night, Celebrate Recovery. I'm the worship leader there. I'm so glad to be here with y'all. This is a lot of our team that serves on Friday night with worship. We're so thankful to be here with y'all, loving on our higher power, Jesus Christ. And so would y'all stand with me as we sing this song? about the victory that we have in Jesus as believers. Start their peace without less darkness. Let's sing this.
Hey, you can take a seat. Well, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with anger and fear and abuse trauma. My name is Caleb. Good morning, fellowship. Hey, we're glad you're here, that you're with us this morning, worshiping together. I just want to let you know a few things that are going on, uh, and, and one of them happens to be going on across our nation Today, because today, this Sunday, this Sunday morning is actually the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's a day where we pause to remember and reflect on the value and the dignity, the sanctity of each and every human life. And we at Fellowship, we believe that life starts in the womb and it goes and lasts until the final breath because we're a pro-life church. And we don't just say that as a publicity stunt. We don't just say it at certain times, but we say it especially on a morning like this. And we don't just want to be a church that says things, but we want to be a church that actually acts on our beliefs. And so that's why this morning we want to bring two ministries before you. The first would be Loving Choices, and the second is Deeper Still Ministries. Loving Choices, uh, you, you know what it is. It's the baby bottle ministry. Typically, you would take one of these home, you would fill it up with change and bring it back. Well, right now, they're doing their 2024 fundraiser. The issue is none of us have change anymore, right? The world's changing a little bit. And so they've actually asked for us to continue to support them, but in a different way. And so they have a QR code. If this is a ministry that you would like to give to, you can scan this code. You can go online. You can find the link. You can find them in the back at the foyer. Hey, if you got change in your pocket and you want to give it to them, I'm sure they'll take it. They'll take a check. They'll take cash. But as the way in which we support this ministry changes, my hope is that our support for the ministry wouldn't change. In addition to Loving Choices, there's also Deeper Still Ministries. They'll be in the back, and it's a great opportunity for you to talk with them. They're in the foyer after service. Deeper Still Ministries is, a, is an organization. It's a ministry that works with women and men who are burdened by an abortion-wounded heart. And so maybe you have a story that you've held to yourself for a long time. Maybe you have a secret that you've been keeping. This organization, this ministry exists to talk with, to walk with, to help you. And so if you're someone who needs that type of help or you're someone who wants to offer that type of help, I would encourage you to go and visit in the foyer 
with the Deeper Still ministry partners there. Hey, this is the last week of our CR series before we jump into the life of David. And so I just wanna let you parents who might have your kids with you uh, this morning know so you're not caught off guard. This morning is an incredible Sunday filled with redemption. We'll hear the stories of God overcoming this world. But it is, a, it is a little bit more of a serious Sunday. And so we'll have a testimony that talks with the hurt of abortion. I just want to let you parents know who might have your kids ahead of time. That way you're not caught off guard. Uh, you can make a decision what's appropriate for you and your family. And we do have a few other things that I, want to, that I want us to be aware of. The first is that today is our community group leader launch. So most groups have kicked off already. But if you're a leader, we've got a leader launch this service and next service in the Family Center, we'd love for you to join us so we can help get you equipped for a great semester. We also are in need in our early childhood. We need 54 leaders. And what a great problem that we have so many kids that we need more adults to help us out so that these kids can continue to be brought up in the Word of God. But we're looking for 54 leaders. Whether you're a young adult and you never had kids, look, this is for you. Or you're an empty nester and you thought you were done with kids, the Lord doesn't think so. So we could use your help. Uh, hey, also, if you're new, maybe you've been coming for a little bit trying to decide, is this your church home or not? We would love to meet you. And next week, we have a newcomers gathering in the family center after both services. Come meet us. We'd love to shake your hand, get to know you, see if this is the right fit for you, if we can help you, or how we could get you plugged in. As we get ready to start this morning, would you pray with me? Well, Father, thank you so much that you're the God who knows us and loves us, that being vulnerable with you is safe because you take us as we are and you shape us more into your likeness. Jesus, we pray for courage this morning to worship you as you are. We, we pray for the strength to do so, but Lord, we just pray that you'd give us eyes that we might see you, get a glimpse of who you are, and that as we see you, we'd worship you more and more pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, again, once again, good morning, fellowship family. Uh, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. I struggle with pride, codependency, sexual addiction, and food issues. And my name is Michael. Hey, Michael. Good morning, everyone. Uh, again, um, man, what a blessing it is to be in the house of God, to worship him, to serve him, uh, and, and to sing to him. And not only does the Bible scripture talk about that we can sing to each other, we can sing that God actually sings over us. And at Celebrate Recovery, we, we put a lot of things through the lens of gratitude, thankful for what God's done for us. And we're actually getting ready to sing a song uh, that talks about God taking dead things and turning them into life, taking graves, turning them into gardens. He, uh, he also... Uh, sees my weakness, and he's not ashamed. He's not angry. He's not upset. He actually leans into it, and he says, I love you exactly where you're at, but I also love you enough to not leave you there. And that's a beautiful thing. God loves us. And, and, and so and during this song, we'll have a chance to worship and to give back as a way to say thanks as part of what we're doing this morning. It's just through that lens of gratitude. God, thank you for the forgiveness you've offered me. Thank you for what you've done in my life, what you're going to do in my life. And so if you know this song, feel free to sing it as we have a chance to give back this morning.
treasures of faith are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together in every desire. Here in your love
sing this out as one voice. I hear the Savior say.
praise this morning. Let's praise Him. Well, good morning. It's always so amazing to worship with you. My name is Alex. I am a grateful believer and I struggle with anxiety, control, and insecurity. Join me in reading the eight principles. I'm going to read the principle and if you guys will read the verses that come after it, that'd be awesome. So principle one, realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Happier are those who know they are spiritually poor. Matthew 5. Principle two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Principle three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happy. Voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God Evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm me, them or others. Happy are the merciful, happy are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. Principle eight. Yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Matthew 5, 10. Hey, join me in saying thank you to the CR band being here this morning. Well, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with control, anger, and issues related to pride, and my name is John. Thank you, team. Well, listen, it's great to be here this morning, and the last couple weeks, Rodney and Sam both showed pictures of their younger selves, and so I thought it would only be appropriate if I joined in, and so I show you a picture of this young heartthrob there whose knees were probably bigger than his thighs. But not only was he a young heartthrob, he was also a mess. He was a terror um, to teachers, to school administrators, to church workers. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, I was a terror. But I had a great uh, home. I had a two-parent family. We were middle class, just we were America. Uh, my dad was an accountant and a politician, we, need, we might need that today, huh? A politician who could count would help. <laughs> My mom was a teacher turned licensed counselor. She probably became a licensed counselor because of me. Um, but just, I, I, I was a disruption, a walking disruption growing up. I loved church. I loved church gatherings. I loved uh, the people. I felt very loved by church. But I also remember just being that walking disruption School was tough for me. It was a struggle. 
A matter of fact, there, I got diagnosed at a young age with ADD, is what they called it back then, and hyperactivity. And it was just very obvious that that's what was going on with me. There was actually a book um, written about this years ago. I thought it was written about me. Why Johnny can't sit still. And I'm like, yeah, somebody finally understands. I remember we'd go to eat as a family. My parents would make me run around the restaurant multiple times before I could come in and sit down. It was challenging. I think I was frustrating to parents, teachers, administrators. I remember hearing things like we don't know what to do with him. During story time, they would send me to the special education classroom just to get me out of the way because I was so disruptive. And I remember one specific school memory, this teacher that handled me so well, Mrs. Sawyer. It was fourth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. And, and all, the, 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 all the, the students were in these little pods, like four or five desks together. And my desk was attached to the teacher's. And she would always say, she had two questions for me. John, what are you doing? And where are you at? And I kind of recognize where I'm at. I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to be. I wasn't a bad kid, but I was a disruptive kid. It was very frustrating. There was one kind of particular memory I have that, that would bring shame on. I'm not even sure why. But after school each day, I would have to go down to the office and get my kind of second dose of medicine. And so I'd walk that school hall, and I remember it was always me and the school bully. Like we'd kind of meet, you know, and be kind of like, hey, I was like the second shortest kid in school. He was the tallest because he had missed two grades. And so we were walking down. I just, it was such a particularly shaming time, and I'm not sure why, but I think it, it just was frustrating to me that I couldn't control what was going on in my mind or my behavior. Teachers were always adjusting their schedules. My coping mechanism was to learn to make people laugh. Man, I'm already kind of the, not, not the black sheep of the family, but I'm always the one, the kind of the odd duck, and so I just try to make people laugh. Had a lot of fun. But in, inside, I was, I was hurting. I needed acceptance. And so that was kind of my, my way to, to cope through high school and college. And then at some point, it turned to, hey, I need to, I need to figure, I need to show that I've got to figure it all out. People don't need to know what's going on in my mind. And through adulthood, I've had to learn how to, to be okay with who I am. Just saying, hey, this is who I am, and I'm okay with it. You know, a particularly healing thing happened as I was a parent. And we, we, as a family, we loved watching movies together. And one of, the, one of our favorite movies is the Cheaper by the Dozen movies. They're just, we loved them. I mean, I, I can, I've memorized the movies from hearing them play in the back of the minivan. But there's this one scene, I can't remember which one, but it's Steve Martin. He's got this shirt on, and it says... I am what I am. And there's a big yam on it. I'm not sure what a yam is. It's like a sweet potato or something. But he's just like, and so I got my, that shirt for one of my kids one time. It was just a healing time to be okay with who you are. And as you grow spiritually and as you begin to mature and grow older, you kind of become okay with who you are. And fortunately for me, we've got a great staff here. They put up with me. My family puts up with me. I've learned to kind of manage myself. No sermon prep after noon. No important meetings after three. If I ever act like I'm not paying attention, I'm probably not, but I'm not trying to be rude. <laughs> but here's the deal. We've all got hurts. We've all got bad habits. We've all got hangups, and they come from, from different things. Different things happen. Sometimes they come from choices we make or p- choices other people make. Sometimes they come from our environment or where, we're, where we grew up or something like that. Sometimes they just come from within us biologically. But wherever they come from, we've got to deal with those. So if, in case you don't know, we're in a series called Celebrate Recovery. We've brought Friday night to Sunday morning. And for the, these first three weeks in January, we're talking about 
celebrate recovery. Something called Life's Healing Choices. We do it every Friday night. We'd love for you to join us. Two weeks ago, Sam Hannon talked about surrender and just what it means to realize I'm not God and without him in control of my life, my life is out of control. The key word, surrender. Last week, Rodney Holmstrom talked about this idea of accepting or accept, accept the things I can't control, confess my sin, commit to God's way. And then today, we're gonna talk about this idea of repair, that to evaluate our life, our relationships, offer forgiveness where you have been wronged and ask for forgiveness where you've wronged others. You know, growing up, being that hyperactive child, I was always out doing stuff, and we, our, our house was the wiffle ball field. I don't know if you played wiffle ball growing up, but our front yard was, it's a perfect, it had this driveway that kind of, it made a fence line, the green monster trees, and we played wiffle ball constantly. But one time, we decided, why are we playing with plastic bats and plastic balls? Let's play with a, a real baseball bat and a real ball, and we discovered quickly why you don't do that. We broke the front window. You ever done that? And, and at other times, when we had broken things or punched holes in the wall, we would kind of move a picture and hide it. But this one, we couldn't hide. It was the, the front window. We tried, to, we tried to piece the pieces back together. We tried to put a ficus tree in front of it. Nothing worked. And see, I think that's how we are with our hurts, that you can't fix it. But our job is to, to take the broken pieces and just bring them to God and allow him to be the one to fix the window. And so we're going to try to talk through those things today. Hey, just in a few minutes, at the end of the teach today, we're going to give you the opportunity to come forward. And we're going to give you the opportunity to come forward and receive a blue chip. And that blue chip just represents that there's something going on in my life that, I need, that needs to be addressed. It could be a big deal. It could not be a big deal. We're going to give you the opportunity to come forward. And when, when that, that time happens... Sometimes when we have people come forward for prayer and stuff, it's a pretty reflective time. This is actually gonna be a little bit more of a celebratory time. But I wanna invite you to consider coming forward. If the Holy Spirit starts knocking on your heart, it's okay to come forward. We're a church. It's actually, it's okay to not be okay. Hey, we're covering principle six today, and it's this. Evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. So here's the big idea. It's really simple. Forgiven people forgive people. That's what we should do. Forgiven people should forgive people. And what's funny is I had a lot of words written down that were basically saying that. And our staff team, we were kind of talking through it this week. And I said, I just can't get there. One of our staff said, hey, Paige Brown's husband, Thomas, has this great saying, that's it. That's my big idea. So our big idea today comes from one of you, forgiven people, forgive people. Here's what John Baker says about it in the book, Life's Healing Chores, which we have for sale out in the four years, says, making amends is always about getting our hearts right before our heavenly father. We ask forgiveness of others we have done wrong, and we seek to forgive others for what they have done to us. The apostle Paul talks about it this way, 2 Corinthians 7, Chapter 7, verse 10. This would be a great memory verse from this morning. It's a powerful verse. He compares godly sorrow with worldly sorrow. He says this, Godly sorrow bring, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Wouldn't you love to live a life without regret? But worldly sorrow brings death. 
I wish we had time to unpack that a little bit more, but think about the, just the godly sorrow piece. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. It leads to freedom and leaves no regret. And if I could pray or have any hope for, for us as a body of believers, it would be that, that we could live lives where we repent often, we, we understand salvation and freedom and live it and live lives that leave no regret. Hey, this repair principle is a two-part process. You're, starting, you're probably starting to get it. The first part's offering forgiveness for where you've wronged. The second part is making amends for those you have wronged with. They use these words amends instead of uh, asking for forgiveness, and you'll understand why here in just a little bit. Also with principle six, there are two beatitudes. I think it's good to remember these. The, the two ones are, the first one is, happy are those who are merciful to others, Matthew 5, 7, and happy are those who work for peace. Mercy is simply this. It's withholding punishment. That's the technical term. Showing someone mercy is you're withholding the punishment. They're not getting what they deserve. Forgiveness, the technical term for forgiveness is canceling a debt. Aren't you glad your debt's been canceled if you're among the forgiven? Cancel a debt. Stop being angry, bitter, or resentful towards someone for an offense, a flaw, or mistake. So it's all about doing this relational repair. And so we got these two things. We got relational repair by offering forgiveness and we have relational repair by making amends. And so we're gonna start it off this morning by doing relational repair by offering forgiveness. Let's look at with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter four, verse 31 and 32, I think is gonna be very foundational for us in this process. Paul says this, get rid of all bitterness. How much of it? All of it. Rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul's saying, get rid of it. Get rid of this stuff. There's this stuff you're supposed to get rid of in your life, and there's this stuff you're supposed to be. He says, get rid of the bitterness, get rid of the rage, get rid of the anger, get rid of the brawling or fighting, get rid of the slander. That's, that's what you're saying about someone else. That's not true. Get rid of the malice. That's the intent of evil, but rather be kind and compassionate. And so what the natural response at this point is to, to say, okay, I'm going to do it and I'm going to pull my bootstraps up and I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be compassionate. What I think Paul is saying here is really interesting. I actually think there's this, this pyramid going on, and the pyramid is founded by forgiveness. So if you look at this, on one side, you have the, all the effects. So the top of it is the effects that's founded by unforgiveness for others, that's founded by a lack of understanding and acceptance of God's forgiveness. That's one side. But then the other side, verse 32, he's saying, well, be these things, be kind and compassionate, Offer forgiveness towards others, but it's founded by God's forgiveness. And I think there are people in this room, and you've never accepted God's forgiveness. You don't understand it. You've never accepted it. It's going to be really hard to live a life of forgiving others. It's going to be really hard not to struggle with those things. I call this the pyramid of pardon. And you've got to understand that in order for the tip of it to work. Have you ever accepted God's forgiveness. 
Do you understand God's forgiveness? It took me till college. I mean, I literally grew up in church where I didn't pay attention. I heard all the stories. I couldn't tell you one story. And then finally in college, I, it began to all to kind of take shape. Maybe the foundation, I began to understand God's forgiveness. I began to be able to live in forgiveness. Why forgive? Baker in his books gives us several reasons. Because God has forgiven you. That's a great foundation that goes back to that, that pyramid. Jump back there if you would just for a minute. So some of you are saying, okay, so you're saying if I understand God's forgiveness, I should be able to forgive others and I should be kind and compassionate, then why am I angry? Why am I bitter all the time? And I would say this. We all struggle with it. Just because you understand God's forgiveness to Christ doesn't mean you're sometimes gonna not struggle with those. But the reason you're struggling with those, just like I struggle with them, is that we forget. We forget who we are. There's a reason that Jesus said, come to the table and do this, what? In remembrance of me. My body broken for you my blood shed for you. We needed to be reminded because we often forget that we should not live over here. We should live over here. And that should greatly impact how we live. Why forgive? Because God has forgiven us. Colossians 3.13 says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Second reason you forgive is because resentment doesn't work. It doesn't work. Who stays up all night worrying about what that person said to you? Does the person that said it? No. They're not thinking about it. Who's thinking about it? Everybody make a finger like this and point. Then turn around and point to you. The only person resentment impacts is me. And you're waking up in the night and you're thinking about this conversation that's making you so mad and so bitter, it's only affecting you. Bitterness doesn't work. Ask Job. He'll tell you all about it in Job chapter five. And then third, because you'll need forgiveness in the future. See this, forgiven people, what do they do? They forgive people. We all need forgiveness in the future. How to forgive. First, reveal your hurt. You've got to reveal it. You need to share it with somebody. You need to identify the hurt. You need to admit the pain, which is really hard to do, but there's no closure without disclosure. Don't ignore it. Don't suppress it, but do identify it. That's why I love CR. It's because they have processes for those things, and they have people who are experts that can help you work through this process. Reveal your hurt. Release the offender. This might be the hardest part. You've got to release the offender. Because forgiveness is not about how they respond or what they're, what they're, whether they admit it or not. Forgiveness is for you so you can be free of it. Release the offender. Why? See the previous list. Resentment doesn't work. How often should I forgive? If you're struggling with that, write down Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22. That's that passage where someone asks Jesus, how often should I forgive him? Should I do it seven times? And what does Jesus say? No, 77 or seven times seven, seven. I mean, it's just a lot. Just keep forgiving. I should be a better counter. I've actually got an accounting degree too. So, but just keep forgiving. That doesn't mean you, you leave yourself in the situation where you keep getting hurt. That's not what it means. 
And then lastly, replace the hurt with God's peace. And the greatest way I've seen to do this is I'm going to read you an example. And in Celebrate Recovery, they have you write a letter to those um, you've offended. I'm sorry, they have, a, they have you write a letter to those who have offended you or you've offended. And, and this is one of the most powerful letters I've read. It's a, it's a young man offering his mother forgiveness. And I want you to listen because at the same time, he takes responsibility. Listen to this letter. Dear mom, I have finally found clarity to be honest with myself and to be honest with you. It's been 20 years since I walked out of your apartment, an angry, lost, wounded teenager. I jumped into my car and took off. I never looked back until now. I have regrettably blamed you for the many messes I have made in my life. I blamed you because then I wouldn't have to clean them up. The divorce in grade school, the moving from house to house, the many relationships you got into and out of had effects beyond what you were willing to admit. Your decisions impacted many people. Your decisions impacted me, and I hated you for it. It seems like I have been limping along emotionally since then. Anger towards you has always seemed like a safe place to store and release my pain. I'm not sure my pain. I'm not sure when it stopped working. I imagine it never really did work. And looking back at 20 years of hating you, I've seen a heart hardened towards a mom who was just as broken as I was. I have seen a heart hardened towards everyone, including God. I think it makes sense to me now what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, that if you do not forgive, you won't be forgiven. It's not that God can't forgive me. It's that my heart is not breathing when I have unforgiveness. And I'm not inhaling grace, and I'm not exhaling grace. Without forgiveness, my heart has been dead. Sometimes I see someone who reminds me of you. I often look at my daughters and wonder what it'd be like for, for them to know their grandma. In some ways, I still can't believe you're gone. You were, you were so alive, larger than life. Your laugh was loud and unashamed. I hear your laugh and rose, my youngest. I'm sorry, mom. I will not blame you for my choices. I believe your choices, even the bad ones, are being redeemed in my life through God's glory. I'm so sorry I wasted the time we had together being angry. My comfort and hope is that we will see each other again where there will be no more pain and no more tears. Amen? Hopefully, that letter will give some of you the courage to write your own letter. Because here's the big idea. Forgiven people, what do they do? They forgive people. And we are supposed to be the forgiven well, you may be saying, hey, John, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand. You're right, I don't understand. Uh, but I want you to, let, I want to let Tony Evans speak into it, and I want you to look at this quote. He says this, forgiveness is not pretending like it didn't happen or didn't hurt. That's lying. Forgiveness is a decision to release a debt regardless of how you feel. So I think that's really good. How you feel about it. And I would add to that and how the other person responds. You, you release the debt regardless of how you feel and how the other person responds. So in addition to offering forgiveness, we need to ask for forgiveness or what the, uh, what the, the, the Celebrate Recovery folks use. They use this term making amends. So in addition to offering forgiveness, you need to be willing to make amends. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at. What does it look like to make amends 
for things done wrong. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it's a good place to start. It says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you might be asking the question, well, how do I make amends? And it's a really good three-step process that they give us in the book, Life Healing Choices. The first step is to make a list. Just make the list. Identify those you have harmed. And I would encourage you, as you make that list, don't let it be a one-time sit down. Okay, I'm done. Now, let the Lord work. Pray about it. There may be somebody who needs to be on that list that you're not even thinking of. Because oftentimes, we don't think so much about who we've harmed. We think about those who have harmed us. So take some time, make that list. Ask a question. How would you like someone to make amends with you? How would you like them to apologize to you? Probably privately, right? Probably with humility. Many situations aren't black and white. One of the things we tried to do in our family with our kids growing up, is we tried to create a culture of, of grace and forgiveness. It didn't always work. And I remember when we were starting that, I was trying to model that for my family. So my kids were young, and I've told my friends this, and I I would apologize to my kids. And I'd say, hey, daddy's really sorry that daddy raised his voice, and daddy's asking you forgiveness. I was talking like daddy was another person, because I didn't want to admit I was wrong. And and your five-year-old's looking at you like, why is daddy talking like daddy's another person? Why is daddy talking in the third person? And it's like, oh, I'm supposed to say, no, I'm really sorry for what I did. Would you forgive me? Privately, with humility, without expectations. You know, you may or may not have restoration in that relationship. It, they may or not, may not accept your apology. You may or may not need to make some form of restitution to that person. But in addition to making a list and asking a question, you need to refocus your life. You've got to get on with your life. And it doesn't mean, for, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. It just means that you're able to live your life without that being your identity. Because your identity is in Christ. It's not in the hurt that's been done to you. It's not in the hurt that you've done. It's in Christ. And you have to let the other people work through that and let God deal with them. We've got a really great illustration this morning. It's a pretty heavy video, but Stacy is going to share with us how she made amends for some really hard things in her life. Watch this, if you will. Rejection and fear became my identity. I put my self-worth and value and what other people thought of me, how they saw me. My heart and my life will forever be changed. Well, I was raised in the church. I grew up in a middle-class Christian home uh, alongside a younger brother, two years younger than me. I considered myself to be Christian. At the age of uh, 12, I was baptized and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My prayer life grew and flourished after my baptism, but I never grew in God's Word. I can remember opening up a King James Version Bible. I had no idea what it was saying. Fell away from the Lord in college. I 
was concerned more about social activities and being busy than I was spending time with the Lord. My prayer life became less and less until there wasn't one. I married and had two beautiful children. And when my children were very young, uh, my marriage ended. Some of my darkest days would follow after that. I thought I was the problem. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't thin enough. I wasn't fun enough. I just wasn't enough. And I would begin to strive to be enough. In seeking validation, I would remarry and I would become pregnant twice during that marriage. And without counsel and out of fear, I would choose to terminate both my pregnancies. After the second termination, I became very sick and I would have to be taken to the hospital for emergency surgery. I soon filed for divorce afterwards and would never speak of it again. I would experience thoughts of my living children being better off without me. I would make a lot of decisions out of unhealed and broken places. My worth was still in other people, and once more I fell in love and became pregnant. He offered me money to take care of it, and out of fear of judgment, and just fear in general that I could not do it alone, I would make the decision to terminate my pregnancy again. In the days that followed, I cried out to the Lord and asked Him to forgive me. I buried the memories deep inside and would live that way for 15 years. I reconnected with a friend who was prompted by the Holy Spirit to share her post-abortion story with me. She shared that she had attended a Deeper Still Healing Retreat and encountered Jesus there. After she shared her story, I sat in silence, not really knowing what to say. I wasn't prepared for any kind of conversation and managed to get out the two words, me too. And that was the first time that I'd actually confessed my sin to anybody. I'd never heard of Deeper Still. It's a, a ministry for men and women who carry the pain, the shame, and the guilt of an abortion-wounded heart. I learned that the retreats were confidential and at no charge to the participants. And at this time in my life, I really didn't think I needed any healing. I was doing just fine. I declined the invitation to attend a retreat. And immediately after I declined that invitation, I would experience an event of the Lord that would catapult me to retreat. On Friday night of the retreat, we share our stories and we bring out and share dark hidden secrets. On Saturday during the canceling of debt teaching, Jesus convicted me of how wrong my decisions were. And he also showed me that his shed blood on the cross was enough to cover even my sin. He took my guilt and my shame away and delivered me out of bondage from my secrets. I've never experienced that type of peace or love before. It was the biggest gift of freedom and peace 
and love that I've ever had. I can now step into all that God has for me and step into the purpose that He has for my life. My life is no more mine, but belongs to the Lord. In a church this size, we recognize there are abortion-wounded hearts, and that's the reason we're partnering with Deeper Steel. They'll be in the foyer after the service. They would love to visit with you and talk with you. You know, Stacy made amends. She, she worked through the process. She made a list, and she asked the question, and we all need to do that. How would I like to make someone make amends with me privately through humility without expectation? Then she refocused her life. I encourage us all to do that. Baker says this about making amends. He says, some situations, there will be some situations when contacting the one you've hurt would be unwise. Remember the qualifier choice six, except when to do so would harm others. And so you've got you've to work through the appropriateness of that. that. That's another reason I love CR is that they give you a mentor, someone to kind of process this with. Hey, how should I handle this? Let's pray about it. It's really a sweet time. Here's the bottom line. Forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, what did they do? Yeah. Fellowship, we are the forgiven. We need to live like forgiven people. Hey, we've got some folks that have some blue chips. I'll ask them to go ahead and come up, the folks with the baskets of blue chips. And they'll be standing down here. And I would love for people... Matter of fact, would you stand up with me right now? I would love for you, as you feel led by the Lord, to come down and grab a blue chip if there's something going on in your life. We want fellowship to be a church where it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have something you gotta work through. And you can do that right here. You can do that in your community group. You can do that by going to CR and getting some extra help. We encourage you, if you got something you wanna to deal with, Come up front this morning. Grab a blue chip. I'll be the first to go.
You know, one of the things I'm dealing with, it has to do with my growing up hurt, is that I get angry, and I get angry because sometimes the behaviors of my kid resemble my kids resemble the behaviors that I struggled with. And it brings up my hurt, and then I, I just don't want them to go through the hurt. And so my response is frustration. My response is anger. It's not good. But my job in it is to bring the broken pieces to God and let him heal the situation. Hey, fellowship, we've got some next steps for you. One would be going to CR on Friday night at 7 p.m. Another would be reading that book, Life Healing Choices. It's really good. We've got it for sale in the foyer. If we run out, you can pick them up online. Sign up for a CR step study. It can really be helpful. Somebody was just telling me backstage, they showed up on a Sunday morning, they ended up at CR. This was 12 years ago and they've just been living in freedom and their marriage was healed. Just incredible stuff. Join a community group. Uh, One of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery at Fellowship is it's helped our community groups be more vulnerable. As people go, they participate in Celebrate Recovery. They bring the the stuff back to the the groups and it's helped our groups be more vulnerable. Hey, let's close the service by reading the Serenity Prayer together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen? Amen. God bless you, fellowship. We'll see you Friday night. Have a great week.